gather back together, we will be collecting our offering here in a moment. So if ushers want to prepare yourselves, uh, you can make checks out to New Life United Methodist Church. And of course, we do have online giving at our website, www.findnewlifeumc.org. We're also going to transition the young people during this forming time. They will go with Miss Whitney. I want to welcome you all here to New Life. Welcome all of those joining us online uh, through our podcast and our website. Uh, we are in the middle of our Lenten series, Grave Robber. So uh, we welcome you for that. And you can catch up on any of those that you've missed at our website or on our New Life UMC podcast. Just a couple things to clarify as we collect our offering. Um, the board back there, some of you have been signing up for, we are going to kind of go door to door um, just in our neighborhood to say, hey, listen, we're having an Easter egg hunt. The purpose of the Easter egg hunt is uh, to really bring awareness to the paper angel closet. We're going to have a trailer at the, um, in the parking lot that's going to be there for most of the day on the Saturday before Easter. I already have other churches. I have some organizations. I have a school district collecting stuff that's going to be bringing it. Um, so, I mean, there are, there are other people coming to engage in that, and we're doing a lot of press releases and a lot of media to go and make sure to say, hey, listen, this is the reality. We have over uh, 2,400 um, identified active students without homes. Um, they don't have access to some of these products. We're collecting these products to get them um, what they need when they need it uh, so that they don't have to go without these basic necessities. And so we're going to be um, pumping that up as much as, as we can. And so I encourage you, <clears throat> not only take part in this event, um, stay after church if you want to, um, to help build these kits for some of our families, uh, not our students this week, but um, some families in need um, of these products. We'll do that right after church. We have uh, four appointments here on Thursday, um, so we'll do that. But <coughs> I do encourage you, uh, whether it's where you work, uh, whether it's your family, your friends, whether it's people that you know in our community, if there's anyone who you know might have a passion for this, please connect them to me and connect them to New Life so that we can talk, that we can kind of uh, share what we're doing, um, so that we can get support. I mean, this is beyond us. We cannot serve, um, if the statistics remain the same, potentially 4,000 identified homeless students this year. We cannot serve that group um, by ourselves. <laughs> it would be nice if we could, but we can't. Um, and, and it's wonderful that we can't because that means we need to rely on God. We need to rely on other people. Um, but that also spreads the awareness. And so please um, be um, diligent. If you're part of a club or a group or a company that might have some interest in that, um, you know some people who are connected to other people, that's a lot of what I'm doing here um, before Easter and then probably after Easter for a while, really raising awareness for this uh, wonderful cause. So. Uh, be involved in that. Um, all of us can be involved. This is our church ministry, is this paper angel closet. So whether it's bringing in <coughs> paper goods, whether it's staying after church um, tonight and putting stuff together, whether it's coming in during the week and helping organize. I applied for a grant to hopefully give us some administrative seed money so we can buy some shelving and stuff. So it's not just kind of laying around. Um, uh, whether it's coming on Thursday at 10 and uh, helping distribute some of that stuff, whether it's just going out and doing some of this stuff. I mean, this is something all of us need to participate in. It's not even, you know, something that we all can participate in. It's something we all need to participate in um, because this is a lot bigger than each of us.
with that being said, let's have a word of prayer. Transition to our forming time. Lord, we invite your presence into this space and time. We ask that you fill our hearts with your spirit. (coughs) Allow us to truly be open to your word, your calling, your miracles. Allow us to hear these words as we dig back into the seven signs that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John and allow us to truly understand how they impact us today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. I've always liked math. Probably one of the few people who... <clears throat> there's some of you shaking your heads. <laughs> one of the few people that do. I, I actually quite enjoy math. And I did really well in math um, up until 8th grade when I started algebra. Some of you are shaking your heads. Like this is a story that may <laughs> bring back some memories. Well, I had, I had uh, quite a bit of struggle in algebra. And here's the problem. I understood addition and subtraction. I understood multiplication and division. I understood fractions and even uh, some other things like that. But when you added an unknown when you added a letter into my math, it created problems. Because when I saw number, number, plus X equals blank, I didn't know what to do. The limitless potential was too limitless. And so I struggled. Thankfully, I had a great teacher in junior high, and she sat with me after class every day because she noticed that I was struggling, and, and that was not my characteristic in that time in my life. And and so she sat with me after class every day, and we worked with it, and we worked with it. And what she taught me, what she showed me is X solving for X wasn't a limitless possibility. There wasn't any number that could fit in there. What she taught me was that as long as you had some information, whether it was a lot of information or a little bit, as long as you had some information, the possibilities for X were very limited. In fact if you had even the smallest amount of information, the possibilities for X was really only one thing. And sometimes we come at situations in the same way. We look at the impossible, at the limitless, and and we view things kind of in that negative way. And so we have trouble wrapping our heads around really what we're supposed to be doing. So this is also relevant when we're talking about miracles. See, in our, in, our, in our world, we tend to view things very simply. Two plus five equals... Wasn't a trick question. Seven. But God can always throw an X into the equation. And so today we're going to hear one of these math stories, and we're going to find out what two plus five plus X equals. So let's hear this uh, miracle story from the Gospel of John. We, this is the fourth of our miracles. John chapter 6. Do you have your uh, Bible, Bible apps with you? John chapter 6, first 13 verses. After this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea. Large crowd followed him because they had seen miraculous signs that he had done among the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and he sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. 
Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him. He asked Philip, where are we going to buy food to feed these people? Now Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough to give each person a bite to eat. Now one of his other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, here, this young man has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was plenty of green grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took bread. After he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were sitting close to him. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now the disciples had already witnessed at least three miracles in the Gospel of John. Jesus turned water into wine and therefore he demonstrated his mastery over the molecular. Jesus healed a fever from 20 miles away and demonstrated his dominion over time and space. Jesus told a man unable to walk to get up, pick up your mat, and go. And he showed us that with Christ, anything is possible. So a crowd of 5,000 men, now you add women and children to that, could be talking about 20,000 people, they approached Jesus and the disciples, what did they have to worry about? What was there to fear? They had already seen Jesus do miraculous things. But they really didn't quite believe yet. Even in the face of these miracles, they still had doubts, they still had anxieties, they still had fears. They had witnessed Jesus do incredible things, but they still had trouble with their belief. So Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to buy food to feed these people? No one asked. No one said, oh, Jesus, where are we going to feed all these hungry people? No, Jesus looks at Philip and says, hey, there's 20,000 people coming. Let's uh, have a potluck. 20,000 people coming over to your house. Uh, hope the refrigerator's stopped. Now, Philip was from the area, so it made sense that Jesus asked him where they would get food. The problem is, Jesus or Philip started doing the math. Math is a wonderful thing, but it is confined to our world, our laws, our systems. Now, Philip wasn't the treasurer of the group Judas was, but he knew to feed that many people would take over a half year's salary. And even then, it would only be a little bit to eat. Just a bite of food, like a tapas tap buffet, I don't know. Something like that, right? That's that little stuff. <clears throat> but then Andrew comes in. I tend to read this story as Andrew coming with a little bit of faith, not Andrew coming with, oh, hey, this boy brought five loaves and two fishes, but that's not going to be enough, is it, Jesus? I kind of think Andrew's got this little bit of, oh, I bet Jesus is going to do something cool with this stuff. I bet Jesus is going to do something crazy here. 
So this boy had five loaves and two fish, and that was probably his food for the day. And in this pre-miracle, this young boy is willing to share what he had. Now I say pre-miracle because getting children to share is a miracle. Getting children to share their food is quadruple miracle. So Jesus made them sit, which, think about the scene here, probably made the disciples a little nervous. 20,000 hungry people, and you're going to get them to sit and be still for a while? Yeah, probably not a good scene. But they were still doing the math. Two plus five does not equal 5,000. Two plus five will not feed the crowd. But they forgot that Jesus is the X factor. He broke the bread, started to distribute it, and when they were done, there was enough for all. They ate their fill, they didn't just eat a piece. And then there was left over. So add Jesus to the equation, 5 plus 2 plus X equals 5,000 remainder 12. 12 baskets, food that they collected. So the lesson here is pretty simple. God can do a lot with a little. Now we can't forget this young boy's actions. Miracles don't just happen when we believe God for the big things. They happen when we obey God for the little things. Remember that almost every supernatural miracle begins with a natural action. Here the young boy offers what little he had. Could Jesus have materialized food for 5,000 from the grass, from the dirt? Sure. But in in the John miracles, in the Johannine miracles... Every miracle has a human element. And this miracle was brought to existence by the actions of this little boy. Now the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, had a wonderful motto that I think helps illuminate this um, miracle a little bit. And his motto was, he had a lot of mottos, a lot of methods. He wrote a lot of stuff. But this is a good one. Earn all you can, save all you can, Give all you can. Now, over his lifetime, John Wesley in the 18th century would have earned millions of dollars by today's standards. But he would live on very little and he would die with only pennies to his name. Now, he believed in making money, but he also believed in saving. And saving for him was different than saving for us. It wasn't putting money in a bank. It was not spending. (laughs) It's being thrifty, right? being careful about what you spend. So when he was a young man, he set for himself a budget of 28 pounds because he was English. And that's the kind of money that they used. So he set for himself a budget, 28 pounds, and the more money he earned, the more he gave away. He never went over that 28 pounds for his annual lifestyle, his annual budget, his annual income. So he made double the next year, gave double away. Quadruple the year after that, gave quadruple away. So some pretty amazing things happened because John Wesley decided to give what little he had. Dozens of denominations, thousands of churches, millions of Christians worldwide, not to mention hospitals, universities, global mission sites. We could go on to talk about the Methodist movement's impact in our world. Now God is able to do a lot with our little. I think that's one of the big lessons here today. Sometimes we feel like we don't have much, but with God, it's not about how much we have. 
It's about how much we're willing to give. Remember the story in Scripture about the widow who gave two coins to the temple offering. And how her gift of those two simple coins was more so than those who were giving thousands because she was giving out of her scarcity, out of what little she had, where a lot of people were giving out of how much they had. So think about to yourself this week, what is it that you have to offer? Your time, your talents, financial gifts, your service to others, your witness to others. Whatever you give, I believe God can use for glory. When Jennifer and I got married, we decided that we would make a covenant in our marriage that we would always tithe, give 10% of our income to the church. I taught Jennifer about that. And, and she challenged me to believe that maybe that wasn't good enough. And so we also made a covenant to increase our offering, money that we give to mission to help others, money beyond that tithe, to increase that 1% every year. So we've been married four years, so we give 4% of our income to mission, to offering, to, to global work, to local work. Paper angel closets, things like that. But when Jennifer and I got married, I made about $30,000 a year and with benefits and stuff, and Jennifer made $80,000 a year. But I always marry above myself. <coughs> No, just once, but <laughs> thank you. Be careful, just once. And even though we were giving a lot of money to the church, to charity, we had a lot of money. So we were able to spend a lot of money. We were able to spend thousands of dollars on our nieces and nephews and the things that they did. Um, times we spend with them, we take them all out to different things and spend weekends with them and spend money on ourselves. We just went out a lot. We did a lot of things. We never really looked at our you know, books, our checking account or anything else. We just kind of did what we want. We had enough money we could do that. And we enjoyed that. When we moved here to uh, Roscoe or to Manchesney Park, Jennifer took a considerable pay cut, so we had to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of our spending. When Jennifer went part-time, she took another pay cut, so we had to be a little bit more aggressive. And now Jennifer's not working, so we went from four years ago actually being in the top tax bracket to being in the bottom tax bracket. And as scary as that is, and, and we added three children, which I guess compiles some money, some expenses, just in diapers alone. But what I've noticed is now that we don't have a lot and we're still giving 14%, it's less money. We're giving away less money because we make less money. But, but I believe that because we've been doing this, because we have less and less, we've become a little bit more dependent on God. Now that we have to kind of pay attention to every dollar we're spending, we're a little bit more careful about what we're spending. And even though we're giving less, I truly believe that God is going to use that for a lot more. Because we're not giving out of our abundance anymore. We're giving out of what little we have. Believe me, when we were 
making over $100,000 a year as a couple, that $15,000 we were giving away really wasn't that big, much of a big deal. When you're making $40,000 a year, the, I don't even know what it is, <clears throat> six, $7,000 that we're giving away this year, it's a big deal. But I believe that in that small thing, God can do some big things. And we need to share testimonies like that. We need to be able to share what we're going through, what we're doing, our faith in God, because it takes a lot of faith in God to be able to trust that we can still give, we can still be faithful to the covenant that we made, even though we're making less and less and less. Because that's an important part of our faith. Why do you think there was a crowd of people gathered around Jesus? What's the Bible say? Because they had heard about the miraculous things he had done. They heard about the water and wine stuff, right? They heard about that young boy whose fever left him. They heard about the man who for 38 years wasn't able to walk, who just got up and took off one day. They gathered around because miracles impact people and lead them to Christ. People had heard about these things. And believe me, after this meal, after this amazing feeding of the 5,000 plus, I think word really got out. Now, there's some, some point to that. Nothing really impacts people like a food miracle. <clears throat> and we see those throughout Scripture. But we need to focus on compassion, not math. I've already said I love math much more than a lot of other people. But sometimes our uh, calculation reduces our compassion. People weren't walking around saying, hey, did you hear that Jesus has performed three miracles and two of them were healing miracles and one of them was from 20 miles away? And No, the fever was 106 degrees and then it went down to... No. But I bet they talked like this. Did you hear about the man who healed a sick boy from 20 miles away? Did you hear about the man went over and told someone who couldn't walk to stand up and that man stood up. People love those stories. Sharing a testimony, sharing our story affects our faith. Strengthens it. Pastor Batterson in Grave Robber uh, references a study. The study outlines the drop in the bucket effect. They wrote two letters to raise money for children in Africa. One letter gave statistics about what was wrong in the situation, why these children were suffering. The second letter told the story of one little girl. Now, the average income or the average gift from the first letter was $1.14. The average gift for the second letter was $2.38. It's the stories that impact our faith. The testimony that brings a miracle to life that strengthens it. I bet the disciples told this story a lot. And I bet every time they told it, it impacted them more, that it strengthened them more. Over their lifetime, all of these miracles continued to bring them strength. Now, that does, does that mean we give up on math? No. Math is good. In fact, Jesus commanded them to count the leftovers. You ever done that after a big meal? Hey, uh, gather the leftovers and count them for me. Some of you may have people like that in your life. Now, a bonus miracle happens here at the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus is resurrected. And uh, the disciples are out fishing and they're having a problem fish 
uh, having problems catching fish. Jesus comes and commands them to go to the other side of the boat. They do, and they catch a whole bunch of fish. And then they count the fish. 152, we know that, because they actually counted all of the different fish. Sometimes it's good to take count of what we do. We need to measure our miracles because that actually fortifies our faith. It encourages us. It lifts us up. I hope you write down experiences you have of God somehow. However you record things. to Just write down when you have a wonderful experience of God. I hope somehow you measure when something miraculous happens. Every month I sit with my spiritual director and I ask and we talk about the places I've seen God in my life this last month and I try to record some of that stuff down so I know that I'm encouraged that my faith is fortified because of it. You don't have to go to somebody. We actually have a thing here at New Life called Formations. You can get together with a few other people and talk about where you've seen God. We actually have a whole process for that online. It's really simple. The ability to actually count your blessings in a sense, right? To measure your miracles, to see where God is going is something that is important for us something we learned from this fourth miracle. Now we just started our paper angel closet in January but we've already impacted the lives of individuals. Seven adults four children and three students who are identified as homeless have been personally impacted by our paper angel closet in its first two months. This week we're going to have the opportunity to serve nine more adults and three more children. As school districts grow more aware of what we're doing I think that number is going to skyrocket. And I am keeping count. Because these are not just numbers, these are people who have lives, who have things going on, who need to be prayed over, who need to be encouraged, who need to have their stories told and listened to. You can come on Thursday and hear some of their stories, maybe. Get to know them, see them face to face. Four families who are in need in this moment, in this time. I believe when we look back at 2015 and we count this miracle and this paper angel closet as we've said is already a miracle how it's come to be how it's spread how it's changed only God could have done that but I think when we go back and we measure it it's going to truly strengthen us so the whole point is God can do a lot with a little at least what we're talking about today you could spend a lot of time on this miracle and each of the miracles but today I want to leave us with that lesson. God can do a lot with a little. And if you keep giving, God will keep multiplying. Now the selfish mind believes that the more you give, the less you have. Right? The more I give away, the less I have for me. But the God-minded believe the more you give, the more God can provide. And that's multiplication, not addition and subtraction. God cannot give back what we do not give away. And I think that's why many of us never really experience anything miraculous. Because we're not willing to give away what we have, what, whatever it is, our time, our talents, our gifts, our witness, our service. But I believe if you offer up what you have, God will use it for God's glory, for great things. And you may even find yourself in the midst of America. Let's transition now to our time of celebrating this holy mystery, the Lord's Supper.
As we do, we join together in a time or an act of confession. This is an opportunity to corporately acknowledge where we've fallen short and ask God for forgiveness, knowing that God's forgiveness is readily available. So as we begin this time, let us join together in our act of, of confession. And we will follow that with the Lord's Prayer. Now, it is the Lord's Prayer found in the Gospel of Matthew. That is a song. It's not the Lord's Prayer. And so I encourage you to read what is on the screen. Um, don't just say, oh, you can't. Well, it really doesn't matter. <clears throat> but I, I will be saying something different than you than if you say the Lord's Prayer as uh, we traditionally say. Just, just realize it. Recognizing that we all sin and are at the mercy of God, we take this time to confess our sins and be assured of the forgiveness that is available to us all through Christ Jesus. Lord, God of the miraculous, you have sent us signs and we continue to take the wrong path. You have healed us, yet we fail to offer healing to others. You place us in the midst of miracles and we do not see them. Forgive us for all we have thought, done, and said. Forgive what we have failed to do or say. Renew us to new life in your kingdom. Hear this good news in the most miraculous event in history. Christ rose from the dead and offers you new life. In the name of Jesus the Christ, you are forgiven. Now let us pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Here at New Life, we believe in practicing this holy mystery, the Lord's Supper, every single week because we believe it is a sacrament, something Jesus commanded us to do, taught us to do, and something that when we are present in it, we believe God is also present in it. We practice open table communion, which means you are welcome at this table if you are willing to be in relationship with God and willing to be in relationship with one another. To affirm this inclusiveness, we use grape juice instead of wine, and we use gluten-free bread only. We also believe a few common things, a few key things about our supper. First and foremost, that it is Eucharist. So when we come to the table, we give thanks to God who created the heavens and the earth, who created you and me, and who wants to have a relationship with each one of us here tonight. We also believe that this is communion, a time of corporate gathering, when we gather around a common table in fellowship, in grace, and that we not only gather together as this body in this place, but we gather with all of those across the world who partake in this mystery. And with a great cloud of witnesses, we actually participate with all of those who have come and who will come, who we call brothers and sisters in Christ. Third, this is a time of remembrance, and I mean it is a time where we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread like this, 
and giving it to his disciples, giving thanks to God, breaking it, he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup like this. He gave thanks to God and giving it to his disciples. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember, fourthly, the great sacrifice Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. And we proclaim the mystery of our faith, and I'll say a line and you repeat it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Fifthly, this is a means of grace, a time and a place where we can truly experience God's loving action in our lives. So we pray this prayer. Lord, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon those gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Truly make them be for us your body, that we may be your body of the church, redeemed by your blood for this world and the next. And finally, we believe that this is a moment in eschatology. That this is a time and a place where we can experience not only the grace of God, but what life will be like when Christ comes again and we feast at his heavenly banquet. And so as we begin our time of receiving this mystery, as we begin our time of transitioning to worship and praise, I invite you to the table reminding you that this is Christ's body broken for you. And this is Christ's blood shed for you that you may be forgiven and have new life. Amen. I'll ask my servers to come forward. They will stand here and our ushers will dismiss you one row at a time. Move along, come around and then go behind so you're not in everybody else's way and we'll figure it out together.